is awesome to be able to hold a mic and say that. Happy Easter, everybody. Okay. Welcome to the bridge. If you're new here, I'd like to tell you two things about the bridge. We love Jesus, and we love people, and we're so glad you're all here. Um, Also, if you're new, we'd like to invite you to a newcomer's lunch coming up on May 1st. That'll be here right after church. We do have a sign-up so we can make sure we have enough lunch for everybody. Yo, what up? He is risen. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. Um, welcome to the bridge, like, like Caitlin said. Uh, if it's your first time here, um, thank you for spending Easter celebrating with us today. And uh, she's right. We love Jesus, and, uh, and we love you. Whether or not we've met you yet or not, um, stoked you're here today. Hey, we're going to be in the, in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, will you open up to the book of Mark and um, thank you. We'll take as much time as we need to fix that. There it goes. Hallelujah. Multi-talented, our worship team. We're going to be in the book of Mark in chapter 16. Let me pray and uh, then we'll get started. Father, I want to thank you for today. We say he is risen thinking about Jesus because, well, it's true. And uh, everything that we do is based on the fact that we serve a God who is alive, who is not distant, who is not uh, far away and, and or at the top of some mountain that we need to climb to get to. But you descended from heaven itself that you would come to the bottom, to the valleys where we live and be with us, and show us what you're like, and and that you conquer everything that we can't. So we're here to just celebrate that this morning, Lord. So as we open your word, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take the words of God, and the heart of God, and, and imprint it, implant it upon our hearts, that it would not only, uh, that it would first change us, and that maybe it would change this world. We love you. We're stoked to be here today. We ask that you would bless our kids in the back as my wife is teaching these very same truths to our children. May they know from a young age that they are known by you, they are loved by you, and that you have the most radical plans for their life, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, Easter. No Nacho Libre quotes. Was told. Easter is celebrated every year in the spring. Did you guys see the full moon last night? It was cool. Except for the college kids in my neighborhood were doing, they were howling at the moon last night and going crazy. I was in, in a, as holy way as I can, I was trying to get them to be quiet and go to bed. But this is the time of year, every year I love spring. There's a reason Easter is in spring. Springtime is that time of year that we are reminded that the trees aren't dead. You know what I mean? This is the time of year where we're reminded that stuff isn't going to just not grow. It's like our lawns start to wake up. 
people with green thumbs. That's what makes it so hard around here. You get super stoked to start planting some veggies and doing stuff, and then we get that last freeze that kills it. Kills it. So it's sort of like, don't plant anything until May? When is it? June? Yeah, seriously, July. Um, <laughs> but it's that time of the year where we're reminded that, you know what? There's life happening. You can't see it just quite yet, but we start to see the effects of what spring brings. Easter is uh, a great reminder and celebration of the same, the same fact. Even though things seem to be dead, the reality is there is life. Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as some people call it, it represents a new reality that we have to consider. Much like as summer brings about the reality that there is life and you have to manage it. Does anybody have allergies? You're learning to live in the reality of spring and summer. Like, oh yeah, I forgot what this is like. So I want to preach a message, or this morning's message is titled, The New Normal. The new normal is something that I think I've heard about a half a billion times in the past two years. Oh, it's the new norm. Are we, I remember asking myself over and over, is this it? Are we in the new normal? I remember about a year and a half after, you know, the whole kind of pandemic thing started, my wife and I, we were walking downtown Fairhaven, which we started to do when we figure out, you know, when the pandemic hits, you think about stuff like, how do we get a coffee? <laughs> so we figured out how to get a coffee at this place in Fairhaven, and we'd walk down to the ferry terminal and Marine Park and come back up. Saturday mornings, no one was on the street. Jaywalker's paradise. <laughs> you just walk down the middle of the street. And then I remember doing it right when kind of everything started, and then about a year and a half in, we were doing it again one Saturday morning, walk, and I was like, I stopped, and I'm like, wait, we did it. She's like, what? I'm like, this is the new normal. We made it. And much of what Easter represents is learning how to operate and navigate in the present reality of things. I've heard it said that Easter is the Super Bowl Sunday of church. I appreciate the analogy, but I would like to flip that term on its head. And may I suggest that Easter is not the Super Bowl Sunday or the pinnacle of the church tradition. Rather, it is the baseline or the beating heart of the Christian life. It is the thing that we operate from, not aspire to. I want to speak three things from our text in Mark about the new normal about learning to operate and navigate in the present reality of Jesus' resurrection. So Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, And Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, 
they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Verse 6, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling and astonished. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them and said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I want to speak three things today about living in this present reality. See, the new norm is is learning that there is something happening, and you calibrate to it, not calibrate it to you. The first one is this. The first thing to consider. Ready? This is deep. Real deep. Just kidding. This is baseline. The first thing to consider on Easter morning is the fact that Jesus is actually alive. If you believe that Jesus is alive, just please somebody give me an amen. Amen. There is a lot of people in this world that, number one, don't know that Jesus is alive. There are some that we will see that have a hard time believing that Jesus is alive. And then there are some that may know it and may believe it, but have a hard time acknowledging it in their own life. But the first thing about Easter that makes it so sweet to remember is that Jesus is actually alive. Now, this is an alarming thing. We may be like, yeah, totally, Easter, hallelujah. But these people that loved Jesus, that were with him, Mary Magdalene, Jesus' mom, the other Mary, and the other people here, what did the angel say to them twice? Don't be alarmed. Because they were like, what the heck? They went to the tomb early in the morning, three days after they had just saw Jesus brutally murdered, capital punishment for crimes that he didn't commit. And then we talked about it on Good Friday, and it was heavy, and we were all both, we were all who were here two nights ago, both laughing and crying at the same time because it's such a a, a wide range of emotions to know that Jesus died for you and yet he was pleased to do it. It both cost him everything and it was a no-brainer. That's how much he loves people. So we were thinking about that, but they were all so, it was, they were so bummed out. They had planned, they were planning how do we uh, show the most respect we can to Jesus? He's already buried. There's a rock. We don't even know how the rock is going to get rolled away from the tomb, but they were on their way to just show love to him, to try to respect him. He was like nothing, no one we had ever met, so they had spices, and they were going to do what they could to try to, I mean, the reality is they would add spices to a dead body to try to help with, the decomposition of the, of the body. They were just doing whatever they could do. 
and they showed up and the stone was rolled away and they walked in and the and the angel was like don't trip you're looking for him you're looking for someone who has died but he's not here because he's alive they had to be reminded that's what I love about Easter. It's simply a reminder of a truth that exists every single day. We are not to be alarmed, but rather to be excited. My prayer for us today and every other church around the world that was celebrating is that this would be a day of joy. That when you leave here today, you would, in a healthy way, party a little bit. Because today is a good day. It is worth celebrating. And I don't know what that means to you and your family or your friends, but my prayer is that the world at large would know today is good by the tone that comes from the churches when we go out into the parking lot. That they would be like, yo, those people are hyped. What are they so excited about? We're excited because Jesus, who once was dead, now lives. Amen? Here's the deal. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the centerpiece, the fulcrum point of the whole Bible. None of it works. With, as a matter of fact, later in the New Testament, it, we're told that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, that the church, or actually the people, should be most pitied on the whole earth. Because if Jesus, didn't, if Jesus is still dead, like every other person who has ever been or ever will be you know when people die regardless of how much we love them how close we were to them how much they meant to us if they come back for a short while we hear stories someone was dead for a few minutes they're brought back to life and then they go but they eventually die and they're dead if Jesus was still dead he would be like every other person who ever has been every other philosophy or teacher or religious leader who has ever been, while they might have had good teachings that people listened to and this and that, eventually they died. If Jesus was dead, he would be just another teacher that some people follow. We would be people who live everything as a memorial of who Jesus once was. But the entire rest of the Bible is going to be centered around the fact that Jesus is actually not dead, but that he is alive, and it's going to lead us and teach us how to live in this present reality. The rest of the Bible points back to this moment. The whole first part of the Bible has been pointing forward toward this moment, the one that would come. And now we're going to learn how to live in the new norm. The rest of the scripture, if you filter it through, this is God speaking to people on how to live in this present reality. You'll set yourself up for success when you read the rest of the New Testament. The first one, Jesus is alive. He wants us to experience this new life. The second thing I want us to consider is that Jesus, Jesus is alive. I've been wrestling with how to say this for all week. I'm going to say it like this. Jesus knows your name. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you've probably heard me say that a hundred times because I don't know how else to say Jesus knows you, your unique 
personality traits. You see, your name represents who you are. And there's a hundred JJs. Most of them own um, like a pizza joint. Sounds like a pizza stand. Come to JJ's. Um, But there's only one me. There might be a lot of people who share the name that you have, but there's only one you. See, Jesus is alive, and he knows you. Why is that important? Pick it up in verse 7, Mark 16, verse 7. So he tells them, but go, do not be alarmed for the one you are looking for is not here. He is, he is risen. And then it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. They were trembled and amazed. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Verse 9, now when he rose early, it's kind of telling the same thing, but um, yeah, he says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, speaking of Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. So now we have, go tell the disciples and Peter. Then we have here, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Verse 10, she went and told these who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared to another, in another form to two of, the, two of them as they walked and went into the country. And he went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. All that to be said, Jesus didn't come to earth to live and die and pay for the sins of humanity by himself. He could have come and been alone. He would have, no less, he would have been no less God His death on the cross would have been no less atoning for the sins of the world. But like we've said a hundred times, everything Jesus did, he did for a reason. Everything he said, he said for a reason. The fact that Jesus had close friends matters. That's why he says to them in John 15, this is my commandment. The night he was crucified, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested, he was walking and talking with his disciples, his closest friends. This is what he says to them. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you Do what I command you. Imagine Jesus, the king of the universe, God in human flesh, saying this next part to you. No longer do I call you servants. Because we just want to serve God. He goes, I'm not calling you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And in John 17 
later that same night, Jesus said this. says that he came to give eternal life, and he says, and this is eternal life. It's not that you would say a certain prayer. It's not that you would get your act together. How do I have eternal life? How do I know God? How do I have my sins forgiven? This is what, according to Jesus, he said, this is eternal life. Ready? That they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they would be in a relation. He says, I call you friends. What is, what is eternal life? Knowing something, knowing that Jesus is alive and that he did it for you. That there is a, a relational aspect that he cares for you. He knows your name. I love this definition of friend because what is the definition of friend? We could say, oh, I got a bunch of friends. But the reality is, men, guys in here, actually probably less than 10% of us have what would be considered a real friend. So we got a lot of buddies, some dudes you work with, some people you have your hobbies with, root for the hawks with them. Uh, Lots of acquaintances, but I love this definition of friend. Here's what the uh, definition of friend is. Um, Friend, someone who knows you. Someone who knows the real you. Someone who knows your potential or someone who knows who you want to be. They know you. They know who you want to be, and they will do everything in their power to help you get there. That's the difference between someone you have an emotional experience with. Someone at work that maybe you share, um, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. Things are tough at home. Oh, man, I'm sorry. You know, just do, just do whatever makes you feel happy. It's not a real friend. A real friend is someone who knows your struggles, but they see your potential who you want to be, and they're going to do what they can to help you get there. Jesus is a real friend. Jesus' intention before he went to the cross was for his followers to know why he went to the cross. And he talks to them, and, and we have these names for a reason, and here's what I think it is. So they would know, what did I write? So they would have the right tone in their hearts toward others. They needed to taste something first before they told others about it. Let's look at these three disciples real quick. You'll see what I'm talking about. The three that are named specifically, we'll get to the third one. First one is Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You want to read my favorite story? That's a bold statement. Favorite story in the Bible? Top three, top five. We'll give it a top five. Favorite stories in the Bible, John chapter 21. It's when Jesus comes back and talks to Peter personally and restores him. Because Peter had just three days before this, told four days, three and a half days before this, he's like, Jesus, I am your ride or die. If there was ever anyone in your whole life that would not leave you, or turn his back on you, it's me. I'm your man. 
I believe he wholeheartedly meant that. And Jesus said, Peter, I tell you the truth, tonight you're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter's like, no way. Don't be crazy. Sure enough, you were with him after Jesus was arrested. People are like, you were with him, probably out of fear that he might get arrested too, not knowing, fully denies Jesus three times. And, and right afterwards, the rooster crowed, just like how Jesus said it would. Peter had just denied that he even knew Jesus three days earlier. He once walked so closely and said he would always be faithful, but in the moment of weakness, he became such a failure. He blew it. And he was filled with so much guilt and shame. It says he actually was figuring out a way to just go back to fishing. Because even though on some you have good days fishing and bad days fishing, he could just be who he once was, maybe. It was in that place John chapter 21 happens. It's, it's awesome. You should go check it out. In a moment of weakness, he became a huge failure. It was that same Peter that failed, that Jesus restored, that would say this in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He needed to experience something so he could share this that we get to read now. It says this, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep. For you were like, excuse me, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. See, before Peter could encourage others about who Jesus is, he needed to know who Jesus is. Not just that he was alive, but that he was alive for him. He needed to experience first. I'm thinking that there are some of us in this room, most definitely some of us in the world, that need to be reminded that Jesus did it for you first. If you live throughout your days and weeks with a lot of those people over there sayings in your heart or in your mind, you need to retaste again that it's for you first. The second one was Mary. Mary Magdalene. It said, Mary, of whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Do you want to talk about someone who was radically delivered from a former lifestyle? Completely sold out and enslaved to a, she was a different person. Have you ever met someone who says, Jesus saved me, I was a totally different person before. Maybe you feel that about yourself. God has done a work in your life and you feel like I am not the same person that I was before. Your name might be different, but your character, your actions, your insides, everything about you is different. That was Mary. And when he, you can read about it in John, but when he actually speaks to her, Mary at the garden, they say, go and tell the disciples. And as they're leaving, Mary sees a, a man by the tomb and she thinks he's the gardener and she's like hey please and and he says what you know where do you where you guys going and she's like please tell me where you've taken him she didn't understand what she had just heard from the angel she's like please if you just tell me where they've taken my lord please and then he looks at her and he says mary only only jesus said her name 
he, only Jesus says your name the way he says it. He says, like, I see you, who you've always been, who you are now, and who you will be forever. And when he said that, she turned around and she called him Rabboni, which for us is like, that's a weird word. But it just means teacher, Lord, friend. It means like all of those things in one. It's a term of endearment. Maybe he has cast out seven demons out of you. Or you're a whole different person than you once were. But Mary shows us that no matter what God has done, he's not done yet. She still called him teacher. There were still things to learn. Before she could share anything with more, we need to know that it's Easter 2022, but there's going to be Easter 2023, possibly 2020. However long the world goes on, we need to be constantly be reminded that we have not arrived. Jesus is working constantly in us, constantly through us. There are things that he wants you to know today that you didn't know yesterday. There's a lot of stories like this in the bridge. As I get to know people here, maybe you're in the process of Jesus casting out the old you. But that's what he does. The third one, we'll give him a little bit of love because he gets love every year. His name is Thomas. John 20, let me read to you about Thomas. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. But they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. We've seen the Lord. I won't believe it. I can't believe it. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked because they were scared. FYI, the reality is a lot of them thought they were next. Jesus was taken. They could, they could be next because they were his followers. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, now put yourself in this room, filled with doubt, fear, uncertainty. Here's how it was. Here's how it currently is. What is our new reality? The doors are locked. What do we do tomorrow? Should we go back to our jobs we had before? They're trying to figure it out in real time. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Peace be to you, because they were freaked out for sure. And then out of the whole room, he turns to this one man, because he needed to do some business. He calls him by name. He says, Thomas, because he had called Thomas to be his follower already before this. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And he says, don't be faithless any longer. Some of your translations might say, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Verse 28, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen me. Now listen, church 2022, Jesus then says this, but 
Blessed are those who believe me without seeing me. See, he called Thomas by name, and Thomas exclaimed something in this moment that we're not supposed to miss and that we're supposed to be reminded of year after year and we're supposed to live out. And it's Jesus said, that's right, Thomas, it's me. But there is a greater blessing for those who believe and, and say what you say, my Lord and my God, who haven't seen me. And we learn from Thomas that our greatest moments of faithful faithlessness, where you feel like, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I still believe. I'm really wrestling with X, Y, or Z about Jesus or about how I was raised in the church or about my faith, and we have these things. But then we look and we see sometimes our greatest moments of faithlessness when we allow Jesus to do something, actually bring about the greatest lives of faithfulness. It is in our weakness that God is strong on our behalf. See, that's the new norm. I'm here to tell somebody today that the things that you think you have to carry with you to your grave, your secrets, your struggles, your doubts, your fears, your past life, your greatest mistakes, the things that you want to hide under the rug, bury under the sand, you wish nobody knew, you know, that real you, Jesus knows that person. And the person that you, the stuff that you think you have to carry with you to your grave, you don't have to because Jesus carried it to his. He bore the fullest extent of God's perfect law and on the third day rose victorious on the other side of it. And to be born again like Mary, to be a new person, a new creation, is to wake up to the reality of this new norm. That's why we have these verses. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. It doesn't mean that you get a religious jacket to put on, but your insides are still messed up. It means that Jesus actually creates you anew. You live as you were supposed to. We still have issues. We still have doubts. But we understand that who we are in God's eyes because of Easter, because of Jesus. There is, ne- there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there was something that you did this Easter that would be make me so happy, it's to maybe talk to the Lord in a new way. And just be like, hey, here's something I've been holding on to. And just acknowledge that he sees it anyways. He paid for it anyways. And he just wants you to live in the new norm that you don't have to carry it any longer. Last but not least, he's alive. He knows your name. And this is where I'm going to land it. He wants you to respond. Living in the reality of Resurrection Sunday and Easter and Jesus rose from the dead and that he is alive, you have to in some way respond to this. How will you live with this information, with this fact? What was true for them, for Peter and Mary and Thomas, is true for you. 
the intimacy found in the pages of scripture where it's not just information, but it's stories of Jesus and interacting with humanity. The beauty of Easter morning, how it comes right after crucifixion. How the brightest dawn in human history came three days later after the darkest night in human history. I want to end by telling a story. One time, long time ago now, I was in my 20s. Remember remember your 20s? Anyone? For some of us, it was a long time ago. I still feel like I'm in my 20s, but it was 20 years ago that I was, it was probably about 20 years ago, I was camping with some friends. We were up in the mountains of Colorado. And we had rallied way up this road, and uh, you needed four-wheel drive to get up there, and we were camping by this river. And uh, where I lived in Breckenridge, the town is at 10,000 feet elevation, so it's pretty much the top of Mount Baker. Okay, so that's where the town is. And then you drive up, so we're in thir- tree lines about like 13,000 feet or something around there, 12. So we're up just before tree line, and you, and you go above tree line. We're camping by this stream, and it's summer, so in the day, and it's Colorado, like the sun is intense. It is hot during the day. So we get up there, and we're hanging out, hiking around, wheeling, doing all this stuff, and evening came. We start a, excuse me, start a fire, make dinner, do all the things. 20 years old, um, we were sitting around the fire, then it got cold. And I, I went in my truck and grabbed my puffy, put that on. You always have a puffy with you, Colorado. And then you throw a few more logs on the fire, and you get closer to the fire. And then as the night goes on more and more, you get closer and closer to the fire. And finally, we all decided to go to bed. Well, a friend of mine, I'm going to throw him under the bus. His name is, he's not listening, but Brian. Brian drove me crazy, but I loved him to death. He was like the brother, you know? They drive you crazy, but you love him. All day long, he had been talking about, I'm staying up all night, and I'm not sleeping. We don't get camp trips like this very often. You guys are going to go to bed, and I'm going to make memories. I'm staying up. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. My bed was set. I slept in the back of my truck, and um, one by one, people start going to bed. And then there's just three people around the fire two people around the fire. Pretty soon, everybody had gone to bed, and it was late, probably two in the morning or something like that, and we're all finally go to bed, except for Brian. And I remember getting ready, and he'd been talking the whole time. He's like, I didn't even bring a sleeping bag. That's how committed I am to staying up. And we're like, oh, dude. I just had one. He couldn't have mine. And so we all go to bed. I slept great, FYI, and it was cold. I woke up in the morning, Brian was nowhere to be found. We actually got around and we're looking for him, yelling for him, Brian. Then we started to get worried because when people get super cold, they make irrational decisions. And we're 20 and we're just dumb, right? And we're out just anyways. And so we start looking for him, we can't find him. Brian, Brian. Then we start to really yell, Brian. And then all of a sudden, up the road comes this kid, like 22, 
walking up the road. And we were like, oh my gosh. We were like, dude, where were you? We when we found him, he had been lying in this one patch of sun. We were camped in this mountain valley. And I got to talking to him later on, and he says, he, he's like, dude, I thought I was going to die. Brian was dramatic. But I think it might have been cold enough to where, you know, you don't know if you're going to make it. And he said he started looking for the sun to come over the mountain. And he goes, and I saw it, and I could see where it was going to come over. And so I started thinking about where I needed to position myself to be in the sun. And he said, and the sun came up, and it crested, and I saw it down. It was just hitting this one spot. So he walked down, and de if you've been in the desert or the high mountains, it is stinking, it's coldest right before the sun comes up, right? But then when the sun comes up, the temperature starts to change immediately. And he went from freezing cold to being warm in just a patch of sun that was just big enough for himself. I end with that story because of this. We live in a really distracted time. Kind of like sitting around the fire with your friends when you're drinking beer and telling stories and everything is fine. Everything's great. You tell tall tales, laughing, everything is good. And then people start going to bed one by one. Next thing you know, you find yourself in this place where you're alone and cold and eventually scared. And I know that he was. And some of us are like that. We don't think about the sun. We don't even feel like we need a sleeping bag. But when you find yourself alone and scared, I'm here to tell you that there's a patch of sun just big enough for you. When I think about Brian lying there, I'm like, that is the gospel. That is the understanding of who Jesus is. It's knowing that there is this patch of sun that was given for the whole world, for God so loved the whole world. But responding to Jesus personally is knowing that that patch of sun is just big enough for you. And you just sit in it and it begins to warm you and change you and make you more. And you don't earn that patch of sun. You don't earn that grace that Jesus has. It's just there, and here's the response. You got to step into it. It'll sit right there and warm that ground all day long and do nothing until there's some response from you to just simply step into it. See, that's the new norm. It's a twofold reality. The first one, acknowledging that Jesus is alive. Not being unbelieving anymore, but believing. And the second is learning to live as if he is alive, responding to the reality. I want to end by giving you guys something that I would like for you to say, if you're willing, every morning. And this is a tall order. Whether you're part of this church or not, or you're going back to where you live, I want to ask you to say something every morning for the next year. It has nothing to do with what you get to eat that day, so don't stress too much.
What if you woke up every day for the next year and you said these simple words? Jesus, you are alive today. You are in control of everything I see and everything I can't see. You know everything about me. You know the good things I will do and the hurts I will cause, and you love me still. You have paid for my sin. You have taken away my shame. You have paid for my past. You have plans for my future. You are proud of who I am. You will never leave me or turn away from me. Help me to live in this reality today and to share this reality with others through my words and my actions. Amen. I'll put that on our Instagram page or Facebook page where we will put that and you can see it. Maybe those words are something like it. It's a declaration of who Jesus is, who you are, and a response worthy of the love of God. Happy Easter, you guys. He is risen. risen Let's pray and let's sing this song. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for conquering darkness. You, Jesus, are the light, the light of the world. And no darkness can extinguish it. And we realize that these days are dark, but it's in the darkness that you shine so bright. Lord, we want to see this world transformed by the reality of who you are and your love for them. But we know that we are, the best thing that we can do is reflect your love. So we ask as we celebrate Easter and resurrection and new life and new hope and forgiveness and all of those things today, we pray that that light would shine bright in our hearts, Lord, first. We love you. We sing the song to you in response. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you.